Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. Pastor Eric Hill. And we'll talk more about who he is momentarily because you know our voices, and I do not think you've heard his before, at least not on this podcast, but some of you have heard his voice before. Today is a, I'm going to call it an ambush show, because while we had planned to do this recording, some things went awry with the execution of the plan, and all of a sudden, here we are, and we're doing it. And so uh, we're going to do this as well as we can, and as professionally as we always bring this to you. But there's been no um, set forth agenda or anything like that, so I'm excited. In case you're just joining us, we have been doing a, a series on Pastor Potluck to accompany the Lenten Lunch series that the uh, Canton Lectionary Group, I want to say, is, is putting on at Fir- Canton First United Methodist Church. And last week we heard from Reverend... Eric Hill, who we have in the room today. And Eric, this is your first time on Pastor Potluck. Uh, let me just start off by asking you to introduce yourself. Who are you? Uh, well, first, I'm, Reverend sounds way more official than I actually am, so that's why I just go by Pastor Eric. Uh, I've been at Rockwood United Methodist Church in Pleasant Hill in Candler since 2015. What street did you grow up on? I grew up in Bethel, okay. uh, behind Frank's Grocery in Hidden Valley Circle. Bethel is an area in Canton, for those of you who are not from this area. Yes. You are a local among us. Um, the most local of the three in the Yeah, room. probably the most local. I've been here since I was five. I was South Georgia before that. So. Okay. I've been here since I was 35. So you're much more local than me. Anyway, what was it like growing up on Hidden Valley Circle for you? How's your trouble? <laughs> I mean, it, there was a lot of kids our age, and it wasn't uncommon to have 12 or 15 kids in the yard, in anybody's yard at any given point. So we all kind of looked out for each other and then fought with each other and then hung out with each other again. So This would be – go ahead, Corey. Well, what you bring to the show that we don't is that you've seen different developments in our town and and the people that we reach out to on a – day-to-day basis you have experienced not just one flood but two here yeah and so you've you've really been able to see all these different transitions all these different changes that we just hear about so you could really bring a lot to this what i love about pastor eric uh, appreciate that yeah and i i respect that as well i go by pastor peter too i i just go by court people call me preacher and i try to correct them i say i'm not trying to be a good preacher Try to be a good pastor. But uh, what I like about you is that you are very honest, very straightforward, very to the point. You're not trying to pretend to be someone other than who you are, at least that I know of. Um, and uh, and I really, that's refreshing. You know, I think in, the, in, in ministry, a lot of us, myself included, are susceptible to perception management and uh, trying to make people see us as better than we are perhaps and um, I just I really appreciate your honesty and and uh, so welcome to the show thanks y'all ready to get into this let's do it Eric preached at our Lent service on the crucifixion of Jesus in John and a specific word I was not at that service because I had a stomach issue that I was at home and didn't want to share that with anyone and so I didn't get to hear it so I'm excited to talk to him today and find out what he said um, and 
I am going to start reading John 19, the second half of verse 16, and you guys are going to stop me whenever you're ready for me to stop. Ready? The crucifixion of Jesus. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic, now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who, who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Thus ends the reading. Okay. <laughs> I was about to say after, and then we were going to be in this for another paragraph. Yeah. So, since I was there, I heard uh, I heard you open up, uh, Pastor Eric, with, uh, well, at least what was notable to me about it is that this statement that we are not in this alone. Yeah. And I wonder if you could just open up for us how, in your process of, of preparing this sermon, that became the, the point that you wanted to get across. Uh, it didn't really become that. It's it's a point I try to get across often is because there is so many of us that just when we're out doing stuff, we're like, I'm the only one that's doing this. I'm trying to carry the whole load. And we forget that there's a whole church outside of denomination, but there's this whole following of Christ that's out there with us. And I thought this was a good opportunity because this was Mary's I can't imagine her ever having a worse day in her life Mm. than the day that Jesus was crucified. And here he is taking this time to ratchet himself up enough to to speak, to tell her, I'm gone, but you're not alone. You've got, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. And John was hurting too because this was his friend. He'd spent the last three years or so side by side with him part of the inner circle and where his didn't compare with Mary's it was his own type of hurt and I felt that it was Jesus really recognizing that between the two and it was a good opportunity to remind us that we're not in this alone a couple things the first thing that I want to highlight is what you just said it doesn't compare it's his own kind of hurt. 
I think we get into a big, big problem when we try to compare our grief yes. with other people's griefs. Even more so when we try to compare the grieving process through which we go trying to recover from that grief to the process through which other people went. Learn from them, yes. Yeah. But there's not a playbook. Every person does it differently. And so I'm really glad you said that. Because in trying to prepare or compare, we make it impossible for us to actually take our necessary steps through grief and grieving. Now, Jesus in the Bible cuts it short because he shows up again. Yeah. But most of us don't get that. The second thing is getting back to this you're not alone thing. What is What stands out to you in putting that theme on verses that open with and carrying the cross by himself? Well, one, I didn't start that far back. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I started uh, with standing near the cross was Jesus, and to Jesus was Mary, 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 and John. Well, then let me ask it differently. In this scene, the whole scene, you have an opening scene where he's alone, and then the friends show up. Well, the support group, because yeah. some of them are related to him. The support group shows up. So then... How do we navigate our times where we do truly feel alone in and out of those moments when we see the support there versus times when we can't? It's it's a shifting thing. Um, and it's, again, like you said, it's very different for everybody. Everybody does it a different way. Um, I, I'm real good at hiding when I feel that and people are like well I didn't notice and, and that just compounds the problem okay you didn't notice so I'm completely invisible anymore so so for each so person they're saying I, I would have liked to help but I didn't notice your pain right you're feeling you didn't notice me right yeah mm-hmm. um, where you want somebody to notice somebody else to let you know you're not alone and then it's for somebody to say, well, why didn't you tell me you felt that way? Because that was the problem. So in me sharing and telling people to really check on people um, and let people know that they're not alone with whatever they're going through, it's their struggle. I can't sympathize because everybody's different. So for me, I have I have a friend in Murphy that I go... Um, about once a month and just sit down with him and and we sit back and talk back and forth and we're very real with each other but you have to have a relationship with somebody that's like that yeah Uh, i noticed as you were preaching that you really invited us into the emotional experience of mary and of the the disciple whom jesus loved who we assume to be john um and one line that you said later on in the sermon that I want to ask you about, if you're willing to talk about it, uh, you said the hardest people to bury are your friends. Yeah. And that's really what John was experiencing in that moment. I mean, watching his, his, his dearly beloved friend die. What does that line mean for you? And is that from personal experience? It, it is. Um, of people, have, people often ask when they find out you're in ministry, they're like, what's the hardest part? for you in ministry and I always reply burying my friends Mm -hmm. because that's one of those times when a pastor really feels alone Um, two weeks ago uh, 
I buried a member of Rockwood. I've been at Rockwood since I was 17 years old. This right. was my friend. Yeah. It was a good friend of mine's father. So a lot of times people are like, well, the pastor's just up there. This is what he's supposed to do. Um, I'm real sorry for the family. But a lot of time that pastor's up there trying to do the best he can and grieve at the same time. Um, I did a funeral that I wasn't supposed to do for a really good friend of mine, Hugh Russell, um, several years ago. And the lady that was supposed to do it backed out at the last minute. And my wife did most of the liturgy as a chaplain. And all I had to do was the message. But to me, that was the hardest funeral I've ever done. And it took me weeks to get over it. And it's that's really where I try to get people because people like to put the pastor up on a pedestal. This is what he does. He doesn't really think this way or that way. But we do because that's, that's our friends. And we build these relationships with our congregations, or at least I hope we're building these con- relationships, so that when we lay them to rest, we are indeed burying a friend. Hmm. You know, it's uh, I've only been in ministry for uh, two and a half years now, and already I've noticed that family will mention offhand, oh, well, it'll be re- it's really good that you're a pastor for when so-and-so dies. And... Um, I have to, you know, so, sometimes there's a situation where it's just like, yeah, there is nobody else. But sometimes I, I just, I need to, in those moments, say, if there's any way that I can just be a grandson for this funeral, yeah. or I can just be a brother-in-law for this funeral, or whatever it is, yeah. um, please, like, don't do this. <laughs> don't ask me to do this, because it it's so hard, and people don't, don't understand that. So there's, there's this book out there called Pursuit, and in it the author, Court Green, says... Uh, <laughs> book plug. Mentions, <laughs> mentions that in, in those moments, we have this question, who's the pastor for the pastor? Yeah. Because they look to you and say, okay, you're the pastor, and you think, but that's what I need right now. Yeah. yeah. And... That question in our society, I think, goes well. You have to answer it yourself. You have to find your own, um, and mentors and friends and groups and things like that are helpful. So, for those who aren't in clergy, what do these what do these verses and especially Jesus's phrase call us to do or be? Where's the action point as far as applying this? To the, I, I titled the sermon last week uh, Beyond Blood because that's what family is. And mm-hmm. through Christ, that, that blood, we're all family. And it's really, we need to be there for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our differences set aside. I mean, we can be fighting all year long, but Thanksgiving comes around and we're all sitting around the table laughing and joking. And we can set that stuff aside, but we, we carry so much other weight and so many other opinions on things that we stop being there for each other. So I'm glad you answered that way. I took a shot in the dark there, but um, <laughs> I do my the, best. The reason I'm so glad is because that that I think can be the answer to that question: Who's the pastor for the pastor? Well, in in our moments of grief, as the communities, family is a form of community. We need to pastor one another, and not just look for the person with the title, and yeah. I guess you could 
to if it's safe to do so and you can do it responsibly you can apply counsel to that as well hmm. but we need to offer pastoral ministry but let's put it another way because people aren't going to go out and get trained in quote unquote pastoral ministry we we need to love each other yeah we need to support each other and hold one another up and listen to each other and sometimes not talk and just listen and that, that in that way we become one another's support mechanisms. Yeah. I had uh, one of my early mentors when I first started in was actually assigned a mentor, uh, Jeremy Troxler. Uh, <laughs> he said one time, <laughs> Peter knows said, that guy. We, we we share that in common. I didn't know that. I, he was my. He said uh, somebody had told him that God calls those to preach that He doesn't trust to be laity. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I would it, make a terrible layperson. I know it. Um, we just need constant Why, why do you got to agree with that so fast? Good I think God. anybody who knows you uh, or any of the three of us would agree with that. Yeah. But we do. We do need to be there for each other. And I think if we had some training where somebody became minister for ministers, you're just going to cause another problem. Who's theirs? Who's the minister to the minister, minister for ministers? Minister. Yeah. And it, it just it's an ongoing circus. But if, if we're all there for one another... And, I mean, Scripture plainly says you're all ministers. You're all to be this way. So your congregation should minister to you. I called (laughs) several years back, I called my congregations out because I'd been gone for the whole month. Nobody called my wife to check on her. Hmm. I was like 100 people, and nobody called my wife while I was out of town to see if she needed anything. And... That's what we we lose that that connection because we do we separate in levels and we're not levels. Um, besides, I am thirsty and it is completed. These are in John's Gospel the last words that Jesus gives from the cross. And, and the way you described it at the beginning, you said he has to ratchet himself up. I mean, physically, we're talking about if we're if we're really thinking about the mechanics mm-hmm. of crucifixion. Uh, most people died of asphyxiation yeah. because of the way that their 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 body was being pulled down. Um, so yeah, so every word is really meaningful, and you've opened my eyes to how, you know, in his, in his in his work, which he continues to the very last moment from the cross. This is worth the words, right? Worth yeah. this the the strain to to. Um, invite these people who are standing around to see each other differently to see each other as family to see each other as you are the care uh, and social support for one another and you need to be that um, and is that a role that that we as pastors are um, are expected to or or rather that are we should we be inviting our congregations to that same kind of uh, way of seeing one another, and how how do we do that? Peter, in asking him that question, and I'm asking this to you as well, because well, you as well have experience as a pastor. I'm kind of going to answer <laughs> by pointing out what you did. So, in in asking that question the way he did, yeah, mentioning that dying by asphyxiation, every single one of Jesus's words were meaningful because they took effort and they were his last, means that they had value those words had value he didn't just speak to be to be speaking and throw words out into the world 
maybe the way that we train our congregations, or let's take it out of the church, maybe the way that people can learn to be there for one another and to be meaningful in each, each other's lives is to think of their words as if they were dying and these were their last words to this person. Hmm. And the thing that we don't think about enough is that it could have been. Yeah. Or it could be. Right. Anything, what I'm saying right now could be my last sentence. Hmm. Oh, look, it wasn't. But I didn't know that when I was speaking it. And so if we try to see our communication like that, then we're probably not going to say as many offhand horrible things about, let that sink in, about and also two people. Yeah. Mm. We're probably going to invest, because that's what we're doing when we speak. We're going to invest our speech wisely. And we're probably not going to waste our time with just endless, pointless chatter. And I am chief among the sinners in that category. I mean, of all the things I say, what, like three words of, of a day are worth remembering? And that's being probably pretty generous. And so... If we could just get that mindset Mm. to treat your words like investments and as if they are difficult to utter and take a lot of effort and they may be your dying phrase. It's heavy to think about. That feels like a lot of pressure on everything I have to say. Well, maybe. But perhaps it's time in our world full of memes and and quickly typed things that we just put out into the world... We should probably add some pressure because yeah. right now there is no pressure and people just spew crap all the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that's exactly what we need to do because once it's out there, you, there is no, you can't take words back. You can apologize for it. Yeah. You can explain what you meant in a different way, but once you put it out there, it's it's done. Look, can we? Uh, I think we need to revisit this. Um, this idea of the of the church being our family, a family that goes beyond blood, or something that you mentioned, and and uh, you know you know that family relationship may be difficult for f- folks to grasp occasionally, um, but you in your sermon connected this moment at the cross with other relationships throughout Scripture, and we don't have time to go into each one of those, but you did bring it back to Genesis, um, and you talked about the need for family that it's not good to be alone and so i wonder if we kind of end where we started with this with this and i want to ask you you know what is god's will for us as far as relational beings like what what do you see as god's desire for human relationship to be connected i mean like you said i went back to genesis i mean adam he said it's not good for him to be alone. And I understand that. I need constant supervision. That's why God gave me my wife. But you can't, when you, you're by yourself, there's no other reference point. There's no nothing to bounce off of somebody else. And, and you could go through your life and never get married, but you still have friends and you still need somebody else. Hmm. Um, introverts. Have relationships with other people. And maybe it's over the phone, but they still know they're not alone. And I think the best way to see connection, especially here in Haywood County, 
was when the floods happened. Hmm. Both of them. People came out of the woodwork. They didn't have to know somebody else. They didn't need to know the person they were helping. They just needed to help. So I think it's ingrained in us to help others, but for some reason we've buried it down so deep that it takes something dramatic, like a flood, to bring it out, and it brings it to the surface for so long, and then it goes right back to where it was, where it's like, well, I helped for a while. Mm -hmm. Well, who are you helping now? Well, nobody really needs it. But we're surrounded by people who need it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I like the way you say that of it's, you know, below the surface and it comes out occasionally. And, and I want to live into a world and lean into a world where we see more of that on the surface. How do we do that? I guess this is kind of my final question. Is really to pay attention to each other, mm -hmm. um, to really look around. Um, when I came back from my first tour, my wife asked me, if I could describe it, my mental state when I came back, I said, you've seen these movies where the person's standing still and they speed up everybody around them. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the world's going by and nobody notices that you're standing still. It's very much that way. And I think as a world, we've, we're all in such a hurry. We can't look up from our phones. Um, we can't slow down. We have to get from point A to point B as fast as we possibly can. And when we do that, we miss. Hmm. Um, my mother sent me a cartoon yesterday of two birds, and it's like, is that a scarecrow or a person? They're like, it's a scarecrow. How can you tell? Well, he's not looking at his phone. <laughs> and, Interesting. Yeah, and it's, it's sad, but it's true, because I, I pay attention to people. I look around. I, I talk to people. And... My favorite thing to do is like waitresses or a cashier on a busy day to when I get to my turn in line to tell them to stop and take a breath because everybody I waited on everybody else. So they can wait on me. And for them to stop and just be for a second mm -hmm. can make all the difference in the world to somebody. Yeah. But in order for us to get somebody else to stop, we have to slow down enough to notice. Right. Which for some is unconscionable yeah it's a hard thing to do especially in this day and age to practice slowing down to practice noticing but um, I hear you asking us to to look carefully at this verse from the uh, from John today and, and see that you know for these words that had a lot of um, you know a lot of weight and were very important you know to say exactly what was necessary this is what he decided to say to look at one another, see, notice, and yeah. see that we're related. Yeah, John, my mother needs you. Yeah, to get through this. And I think Mom, through, John needs you to help him get through this. Yeah, I think what we can hear for our our present day is Jesus calling us to be family, whether yeah. we're blood related or not. Be family, whether we knew each other before the moment at which we decide to be family or not. Just be family. Yeah. And I think that's a, a powerful way to live. It's tough, but it's amazing. For Pastor Potluck, I'm Peter Constantian. I'm Court Green, and joining us today is... Pastor Eric. Thank you, sir. Peace. Peace. <laughs>